I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Genesis chapters 48 through 50. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Genesis chapter 48 verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So here we see in these four verses that Joseph gets word that Jacob, Israel, is sick, even near death. He heads over to see him before he dies and takes his two boys with him, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now take special note of verses 3 and 4 here. It says, And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful, and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people, and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession." Jacob is referring here to his conversation with God back in Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 through 15. By the way, Bethel was called Luz before it was renamed Bethel. Now, here's an important question. The famine has been over in Canaan for around 12 years, so why didn't Israel move back to Canaan, the land that God actually gave him? It will become obvious that they overstayed their welcome in Egypt. True, God did tell Jacob to move to Egypt, but one can't help but seriously entertain the idea that he should have moved back to Canaan after the famine had passed. However, there was then that prophecy, though, the one that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Here's what it said. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years." Well, that's what happened, all right. Of course, God knew they wouldn't go home when they had the chance. Now, in chapter 48, verses 5 through 22, Jacob actually adopts Joseph's two sons. Verse 5, And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. 
And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he said Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Joseph's two boys were the sons of the second most powerful man in Egypt. Arguably, they had it made. When Joseph brings his two sons to Grandpa Jacob for a blessing, the old dying man adopts them. Look at verse 5. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. In verse 6, Jacob tells Joseph that his other children remain his, but not Ephraim and Manasseh. As a matter of fact, they obviously dwelled with the tribes of Israel and Goshen, at least later on they did, because that's where we find them in the book of Exodus. So the boys get blessed by Jacob, and in the tradition started by Grandpa Abraham, Jacob blesses the younger son Ephraim as though he were the older of the two. Well, Joseph objects, but Jacob proceeds anyway. It was just their way. Remember Isaac over Ishmael and Jacob over Esau. Verse 22 is somewhat of a puzzler. It says, Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. We're actually not presented the details of the occasion to which Jacob alludes here, the time when he took a piece of property by force from the Amorites, Although we do find this entry in John chapter 4, verse 5, it says this, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. It would appear that this piece of property was still identified as such in Jesus' day. Sychar is located within the site of Shechem, the city that was ransacked by Simeon and Levi back in Genesis chapter 34. 
Some commentators have suggested that Jacob is talking about the actions of Simeon and Levi here. Or perhaps there was an undocumented incident where Jacob took such actions. Whatever, the property referenced here was located within the territory later allocated to Joseph's son, Manasseh. There's one additional stipulation which may not be apparent from just this passage of Scripture. We're told in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, this, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Well, Reuben's double portion as firstborn son, which the firstborn son ordinarily gets, it'll go to Ephraim and Manasseh instead. So that makes room for each of Joseph's boys to have an equal portion with the other sons of Jacob. So to put it simply, Ephraim and Manasseh get Joseph's one portion and half of Reuben's double portion. I suppose it's worth noting here that Ephraim was Joshua's tribe. It was also the tribe of Judge Samuel. Later, Ephraim became synonymous with the northern kingdom of Israel in prophetic scripture. That's perhaps because its founding king, Jeroboam, was from that tribe as well. The northern kingdom, by the way, never served God. Their demise came earlier than the southern kingdom. It came in 721 B.C. at the hands of the Assyrians. Therefore, Ephraim taking the lead there could have something to do with the flip-flop blessing by Jacob in this passage, in as much as the younger Ephraim gets the blessing as the firstborn son, even though Manasseh was older. Then it's time in Genesis chapter 49 for Jacob to bless the rest of his sons. Verse 1, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable is water. You shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people." binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his borders shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. 
He saw that the rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulders to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its riders shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop, shall tramp upon them, but he shall triumph at last. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel and this is what their father spoke to them and he blessed them, he blessed each one according to his own blessing. Well, we see in this passage that Jacob has a long memory. When he blesses Reuben, he brings up that incident where Reuben defiled his stepmother back in Genesis chapter 35, verse 22. The whole incident then was summed up within a single verse, and it happened many years before. Therefore, Reuben can't really be happy to hear that the incident is brought up again on Jacob's deathbed. Notice the words Jacob utters in verse 4 concerning Reuben. He says, Unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. I know we referenced it earlier, but let's take notice again that we're told in First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel... He was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Well, that means that Reuben gets passed over with that special double portion that's usually given to the eldest son. Ephraim and Manasseh get Joseph's one portion and half of Reuben's double portion. This firstborn double portion law does actually get codified in the Mosaic law over in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. And so that made passing over the eldest son with a double portion contrary to Mosaic law going from that time forward. Then he really surprises Simeon and Levi with his blessing over them, if you can call it that. He brings up the time that they murdered all the men in Shechem in Genesis chapter 34. So what? That's ancient history, right? Well, not really. Look at the blessing or curse that Jacob says over those two boys because of that incident when he says in verse 7, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. As a matter of fact, who are the two tribes who didn't receive their own distinct regions of possession 
when they get over into Canaan in the book of Joshua? Well, here's your answer. The first is Simeon. He actually dwelled in specific cities inside Judah. And the second tribe is Levi, which became the priestly tribe, and thus they weren't assigned their own tribal territory. The tribe of Levi actually redeemed their standing over in Exodus chapter 32. That's when they stood with Moses, who was also a Levite from their tribe, after that golden calf incident, which we'll be talking about in a few days. Subsequently, the Levites gained special status as a replacement for the firstborn of Israel in Numbers chapter 3. It's interesting to see how that Jacob's blessing of Levi was realized in that the Levites were scattered throughout Israel as priests after they inhabited Canaan. And Jacob, by the way, had prophesied all of that. So with Reuben's negative word in verses 3 and 4, followed by that of Levi and Simeon, well, that leaves Judah as the oldest son who actually gets a real blessing out of this thing. And what a blessing it is. Five verses are dedicated here to Judah's blessing, from verse 8 to verse 12. From the description of the blessing given here over Judah, it sounds like you might expect royalty maybe to be born from his descendants. And as a matter of fact, both King David and the Messiah were from Judah. Now, there's no certainty regarding what Shiloh here is in verse 10. Uh, Some have speculated that it's a reference to the Messiah. It is worth noting that it was Judah, in fact, who guaranteed the safe return of Benjamin to Jacob, and he also took charge of that Egypt mission to buy more food and secure the release of Simeon back in Genesis chapter 43. Moreover, when the family journeyed from Canaan to Egypt, we see that it was Judah, not the older three, Reuben, Simeon, or Levi, who led them into Egypt in Genesis chapter 46. So it certainly appears as though Jacob favored Judah with the first son status after the transgressions of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. However, it should also be remembered that Jacob had taken the oldest son double portion that would have ordinarily gone to Reuben, and he gave it to Joseph's two sons instead which we looked at and is explained in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1. This blessing of Joseph's sons took place in Genesis chapter 48, verses 5 through 22. So Jacob starts his blessings with the first four sons in order, then he deviates from that order. The remaining blessings are on the sons of Jacob continue down through verse 28. Lasting effects of the blessings on the first four sons are evident, but it's difficult to relate with any certainty later effects of these blessings on the remaining tribes. Nevertheless, speculation abounds in various commentaries on the Old Testament regarding the future impact of these blessings on the remaining tribes. Now, later on, we find that Moses actually blesses these tribes just prior to their entry into Canaan over in Deuteronomy chapter 33. In Genesis 49, verse 29, down through verse 33, we see that Jacob wants to die with dignity. Verse 29. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamer in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leda. 
The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Well, here's the dying man's request. Take me back and bury me with my relatives. He wants to be buried in the land with Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, and Leah. That's back in the cave he bought from the local Canaanite over in Genesis chapter 23 near Hebron. He obviously knows that's where he belongs, so why hadn't he moved back there sooner? Do you suppose that the royal treatment and prosperity in Egypt was just too appealing to leave? Then Jacob passes away. One can't help but admire his graceful exit from this life in verse 33 where it says there, And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. By the way, Rachel died back in Genesis chapter 35 verse 19 and she was buried about 14 miles north of the rest of the clan up near Bethlehem. And then in chapter 50, we have a big old royal funeral, verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamer, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, all who went up with him to bury his father. Well, first of all, they embalmed Jacob, and the Egyptians mourn his passing for 70 days. Joseph then gets Pharaoh's permission for a big procession to the cemetery, way up in Canaan. And we've all been in some long funeral processions, but this one was around 275 miles. It was a sight to behold, a display in Egyptian royal style, with a host of Egyptian folks accompanying Jacob's boys back to Canaan. Apparently, they didn't take the short route back through Gaza. It would appear from verse 10 that they went directly east and past the Dead Sea before turning north. 
Apparently, they followed the coast of the Dead Sea going north until they camped on the Jordan at the threshing floor of Atad for seven days before crossing over into Canaan. That was about 75 miles or so out of the way. Perhaps they didn't want to alarm the local populace with a large entourage of Egyptians. It's worth noting that this is the route that Moses would later take to Canaan after the exile. It's a good thing they embalmed Jacob before the trip. Uh, Let's see, 70 days of mourning directly after Jacob's death, followed by a 275-mile trip to the cemetery and back, probably another 30 to 50 days, they must have dedicated, well, four months or so to the burial of Jacob. You just don't get more attention than that after your death. Jacob's boys then get a little worried, beginning in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. It's been a long time since Jacob's boys sold their 17-year-old brother into slavery. Do you suppose he might be holding a grudge? With Jacob's death, that becomes the big question among the brothers. They immediately humble themselves before Joseph to see if this is going to be a problem. Joseph gives them some consolation in verses 19 and 20. He says to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Nah. Joseph's not bitter. And finally, in verses 22 through 26, Joseph himself dies. Verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being one hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Well, Joseph took care of his father's family until his death at age one hundred ten. Egypt had been his home since he was 17 years old, 93 years ago. He had the nice executive position there for 80 years. His family had been under his care for just over 70 years. 
We see in verse 25 that Joseph's dying wish is to be buried back in Canaan also. He wants his bones transported back there after his death. Actually, Moses fulfills that request over in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. That's when he picks up Joseph's bones upon leaving Egypt. After their Canaan conquest, they deposit those bones in a grave in Shechem. That's recorded over in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32. Now, many have used this precedent of the intense attention to the burial of one's bones as a case against cremation. In actuality, the means whereby one's body is disposed of at death is not really directly addressed by Scripture. In my opinion, now would be an excellent time for the whole family to head back to Canaan to live. But actually, it'll be several centuries before they actually do so. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.